This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Chris Gorringe. The Glugs of Gosh by C. J. Dennis. Book 11. Ogs. It chanced one day, in the middle of May, there came to the great King Splosh a policeman who said, while scratching his head, there isn't a stone in gosh to throw at a dog, for the crafty og last Saturday week at one took our last blue metal in order to settle a bill for a toy pop-gun. Said the king jokingly, why, how provokingly weird, but we have the gun. And the king said, well, we are stony broke, but the queen could not see it was much of a joke, and she said, if the metal is all used up, pray what of the costume I want for the cup? It all seems so dreadfully simple to me. The stones, why, import them from over the sea. But a glug stood up with a mole on his chin, and said, with a most diabolical grin, Your Majesties, down in the country of Podge, a spy has discovered a very cute dodge. And the Ogs are determined to wage a war on Gosh next Friday at half-past four. Then the glugs all cried, in a terrible fright, How did our grandfathers manage a fight? Then the knight, Sir Stodge, he opened his book, and he read, Some very large stones they took, and flung at the foe with exceeding force, which was very effective, though rude, of course. And lo, with sorrowful wails and moans, the glug cried, Where, oh, where are the stones? And some rushed north, and a few ran west, seeking the substitute seeming best. And they gathered the pillows and cushions and rugs from the homes of the rich and middle-class glugs, and a hasty message they managed to send, craving the loan of some bricks from a friend. On the Friday, exactly at half-past four, came the Ogs with triumphant glee, and the first of their stones hit poor Mr. Gomes, the captain of industry. Then a pebble of podge took the knight Sir Stodge in the curve of his convex vest. He gurgled ungluggish, his heart growing sluggish, he solemnly sank to rest. "'Tis inconceivable, scarcely believable, yet he was sent to rest. "'And the king said, "'Ouch!' and the queen said, "'Ooh, my beautiful drawing-room, what shall I do?' "'But the warlike ogs, they hurled great rocks "'through the works of the wonderful eight-day clocks "'they had sold to the glugs but a month before, "'which was very absurd, but, of course, t'was war. "'And the glugs cried, "'What would our grandfathers do "'if they hadn't the stones that they one time threw?' But the knight, Sir Stodge, and his mystic book, oblivious slept in a graveyard nook. Then a glug stood out with a pot in his hand, as the king was bewailing the fate of his land, and he said, If these ogs you desire to retard, then hit them quite frequent with anything hard. So the glug seized anvils and editor's chairs, and smote the ogs with them unawares, and bottles of pickles, and clocks they threw, and books of poem, and gherkins, and glue, which they'd bought with the stones, as of course you know, from the ogs but a couple of months ago, which was simply inane when you reason it o'er, and uneconomic, but then it was war. When they'd fought for a night and most of a day, the ogs threw the last of their metal away, then they went back to Podge, well content with their fun, and with much satisfaction declared they had won. And the king of glugs gazed around on his land, and saw nothing but stones strewn on every hand. Great stones in the palace, and stones in the street, and stones on the housetops and under his feet. And he said, with a desperate look on his face, there is nothing so ghastly as stones out of place. And no doubt this og scheme was a very smart dodge. But whom does it profit? My people? 
or Podge? 12. Emily Ann Government muddles, departments dazed, fear and confusion wherever he gazed, order insulted, authority spurned, dread and distraction wherever he turned. Oh, the great King Splosh was a sad, sore king, with nether a statesman to straighten the thing. Glugs all importunate, urging their claims, with selfish intent and ulterior aims. Glugs with petitions for this and for that, standing ten deep on the royal doormat, raging when nobody answered their ring. Oh, the great King Splosh was a careworn king. And he looked to the right, and he glanced to the left, and he glared at the roof like a monarch bereft of his wisdom and wits and his wealth, all in one, and at least once a minute asked, What's to be done? But the swank stood around him and answered with groans, Your Majesty, gosh, is half buried in stones. How now, cried the king, is there not in my land one glug who can cope with this dreadful demand? A rich man, a poor man, a beggar man, a thief, I wreck not his rank, so he lessen my grief. A soldier, a sailor, a... Raising his head with relief in his eye. Now I mind me, he said, I mind me a tinker, and what once befell, when I think on the whole, he was treated not well. But he shall be honoured, and he shall be famed, if he read me this riddle. But how is he named? Some commonplace title, like Simon, no, Sim. Go, send out my riders, and scour Gosh for him. They rode for a day to the sea in the south, calling the name of him hand to the mouth. They rode for a day to the hills in the east, but signs of a tinker saw never the least. Then they rode to the north through a whole day long, and paused in the even to hark to a song. Kettles and pans, kettles and pans, oh who can show tresses like Emily Ann's, brown in the shadow and gold at the tips, bright as the kettle on her beckoning lips. Bring out your kettle, oh kettle or pan, so I buy me a ribband for Emily Ann. With his feet in the grass and his back to a tree, merry as only a tinker can be, busily tinkering, mending a pan, singing as only a merry man can. Sim, cried the riders, tis thus you are styled? And he paused in his singing, and nodded, and smiled. Said he, last eve, when the sun was low, down through the bracken I watched her go, down through the bracken, with simple grace, and the glory of eve shone full on her face. And there on the skyline it lingered a span, so loath to be leaving my Emily Ann. With hands to their faces the riders smiled. Sim, they said, be it so you're styled. Behold, great Splosh, our sorrowing king, has sent us hither, that we may bring to the palace in Gosh a glug so named, that he may be honoured and justly famed. Yet, said Sim, as he tinkered his can, what should you know of her, Emily Ann? Early as cock-crow yester-morn, I watched young sunbeams, newly born, as out the east they frolicked and ran, eager to greet her, my Emily Ann. King Splosh, said the riders, is bowed with grief, and the glory of Gosh is a yellowing leaf. Up with you, Tinker, there's work ahead, with a king forsaken and swanks in dread. To whom may we turn for the salving of man? And Sim, he answered them, Emily Ann, said he, Whenever I watch her pass, with her skirt so high o'er the dew-wet grass, I envy every blade the bruise it earns in the cause of her twinkling shoes. Oh, the dew-wet grass, where this morn she ran, was doubly jewelled for Emily Ann. But haste, they cried, by the palace gates, a sorrowing king for a tinker waits. And what shall we answer our lord the king, if never a tinker hence we bring? 
to tinker a kingdom so sore amiss. But Sim, he said to them, answer him this. Every eve when the clock chimes eight, I kiss her fair by her mother's gate, twice all reverent on the brow, once for a prayer and once for a vow, twice on her eyes that they may shine, then full on the mouth because she's mine. Calf sneered the riders, O oh, Tinker, heed, mountain away with us, we must speed. All Gosh is agog for the coming of Sim, garlands and greatness are waiting for him. Garlands of roses and garments of red, and a chaplet for crowning a conqueror's head. Listen, quoth Sim, as he stirred his fire, once in my life have I known desire, then oh, but the touch of her kindled a flame that burns as a sun by the candle of fame and a blessing and boon for a poor tinker man looks out from the eyes of my Emily Ann. Then they said to him, Fool, do you cast aside promise of honour and place and pride, gold for the asking and power o'er men, working your will with the stroke of a pen? Vexed were the king if you ride not with us. But Sim, he said to them, answer him thus, Ease and honour and leave to live, these are the gifts that a king may give. Twas o'er the meadow I saw her first, and my lips grew parched like a man athirst. Oh, my treasure was ne'er in the gift of man, for the gods have given me Emily Ann. Listen, said they, oh, you crazy sim, roses perish and eyes grow dim. Luster fades from the fairest hair, who weds a woman links arms with care. But women there are in the city of Gosh, I even the daughters of good King Splosh. Care, said Sim, is a weed that springs even today in the garden of kings, and I, who have lived neath the tent of the skies, know of the flowers and which to prize. Give you good even, for now I must jog, and whistled him once to his little red dog. Into the meadow and over the stile off went the tinker man, singing the while down by the bracken patch, over the hill, with the little red dog at the heel of him still. And back, as he soberly sauntered along, there came to the riders the tale of his song. Kettles and pots, kettles and pans, strong if my arm, if the cause it be man's, but a fig for the cause of a cunning old king, for Emily Ann will be mine in the spring. Then nought shall I labour for Splosh or his plans, though I'll mend him a kettle. Ho, kettles and pans! Thirteen, The Little Red Dog The Glugs still live in the land of Gosh, under the rule of the great King Splosh, and they climb the trees in summer and spring, because it is reckoned the regular thing. Down in the valley they live their lives, taking the air with their aunts and wives, and they climb the trees in winter and fall, and count it improper to climb not at all. And they name their trees with a thousand names, calling them after their arts and aims, and some they climb for the fun of a thing, but most go up at the call of the king. Some scale a tree that they fear to name, for it bears great blossoms of scarlet shame. But they eat of the fruit of the nameless tree, because they are glugs, and their choice is free. But every eve, when the sun goes west, over the mountain they call the blessed, whose summit looks down on the city of Gosh, far from the reach of the great king Splosh. The glugs gaze up at the heights above, and feel vague promptings to wondrous love, and they whisper a tale of a tinker man who lives in the mount with his Emily Ann. A great mother mountain, 
and kindly is she who nurses young rivers and sends them to sea and nestled high up on her sheltering lap is a little red house with a little straw cap that bears a blue feather of smoke curling high and a bunch of red roses cocked over one eye and the eyes of it glisten and shine in the sun as they look down on gosh with a twinkle of fun there's a gay little garden a tidy white gate and a narrow brown pathway that will not run straight for it turns and it twists and it wanders about to the left and the right as in humorous doubt it is a humorous path and a joke from its birth till it ends at the door with a wriggle of mirth and here in the mount lives the queer tinker man with his little red dog and his emily ann and once in a while when the weather is clear when the work is all over and even is near they walk in the garden and gaze down below on the valley of gosh where the young rivers go where the houses of gosh seem so paltry and vain like a handful of pebbles strewn over the plain where tiny black forms crawl about in the vale and stare at the mountain they fear them to scale and sim sits him down by his little wife's knee with his feet in the grass and his back to a tree and he looks on the valley and dreams of old years and strokes his red dog with the funny prick ears and he says still they climb in their whimsical way while we stand on earth yet are higher than they oh who trusts to a tree is a fool of a man for the wise seek the mountains my emily ann so lives the queer tinker nor deems it a wrong when the spirit so moves him to burst into song tis a comical song about kettles and pans and the graces and charms that are emily ann's tis a mad freakish song but he sings it with zest and his little wife vows it of all songs the best and he sings quite a lot as the summer days pass with his back to a tree and his feet in the grass and the little red dog who is wise as dogs go he will hark to that song for a minute or so with his head on one side and a serious air then he makes no remark but he wanders elsewhere and he trots down to the garden to gaze now and then at the curious pranks of a certain blue wren not a commonplace wren but a bird marked for fame though a grievance in life and a definite aim now they never fly far and they never fly high and they probably couldn't suppose they should try so the common blue wren is content with his lot he will eat when there's food and he fasts when there's not he flirts and he flutters his wife by his side with his share of content and forgivable pride and he keeps to the earth mid the bushes and shrubs and he dines very well upon corpulent grubs but the little blue wren with a grievance in life he was rude to his neighbours and short with his wife for up in the apple tree over his nest there dwelt a fat spider who gave him no rest a spider so fat so abnormally stout that he hardly seemed fitted to waddle about but his eyes were so sharp and his legs were so spry that he could not be caught and twas folly to try said the wren as his loud lamentations he hurled at the little red dog it's a rotten old world but my heart would be glad and my life would be blessed if i had that fat spider well under my vest then i'd call back my youth and be seeking to live and the taste of the pleasures the world has to give but the world is all wrong and my mind's in a fog ah oh, don't be a glug said the little red dog then up from the grass where he sat by his tree the voice of the tinker rose fearless and free the little dog listened 
his head on one side, then sought him a spot where a bored dog could hide. Kettles and pans, ho, oh, kettles and pans, the stars are the gods, but the earth it is man's. Yet down in the shadows dull mortals there are, who climb in the treetops to snatch at a star, seeking content and a surcease of care, finding but emptiness everywhere. Then make for the mountain, importune man, with a kettle to mend, and your Emily Ann. And he cocked a sad eye, o'er a sheltering log. Oh, a glug is a glug, sighed the little red dog. The end of The Glugs of Gosh.